0: Okay, so we thank our sponsors for the month, Alone uh, and Jenny Englinoff, who sponsored the Ilui Nishmas Avram Chai Ben Yosef Shimon, Zechonel and also our weekly sponsors, the Adlers, in memory of Shira Tzivia Bat Avram on her first yardside in honor of Marilyn's father, Siggy Weiser's 96th birthday. She should live in the well at Me'eva Esrem. Uh, also, the Ilui Nishmas Rut Ahava Bat Yadidya Udevora and also by Avram and Miriam Deutsch, in memory of Avram's mother, So writes bat Zion bat Avram Yaakov on her 17th Yorzeit, and Miriam's aunt, about Shmuel Eliezer on her 5th Yorzeit. And most of all, this uh, entire series is being sponsored by,
1: by Michael and Phyllis Miller. Moi. Oh, do we know
0: them?
1: Commemorating the fourth site of Phyllis's father, Dr. Meyer Weiner, otherwise known as Mike by his dear friends, Chaim uh, Meyer Ben Yaakov Nachum Voliba, that will be tomorrow night, Chath Bet four years ago. And I just wanted to say a few words. Well, as soon as I found out that the series was starting, right, I jumped at the chance, I said I'm sponsoring it. My father loved to learn and he really would have loved these series because not only do you bring in Mepharsham, he would have loved the fact that you bring in a lot of secular resources. He grew up in Boston, had a total secular education at Boston Latin, Boston College, um, but he never missed a share by Rav Soloveitchik. He was the Rav's dentist. And his my father's bar mitzvah parsha was Vayechi. And the gematria of is 34. Just as Yaakov had 17 good years in the beginning with Yaakov, and the last 17, I say with my father, he had wonderful years in Boston. Unfortunately, my mother passed away at a young age, tragically, he got himself up, made Aliyah, and started a whole new life. Volunteer policeman, chef, um, tutor, uh, baseball coach, and he even studied for Smicha. And um, 97 full years. Wow. And thank you.
0: Neshama and Aliyah. Be an inspiration to the entire family and all of Am Yisrael. Oh, so we are on a, a slow-moving train to the end of Shmuel Aleph, to the end of Shaul's life and his reign, uh, and to the crowning of, of David HaMelech in actuality. We know that he was anointed what feels like a very long time ago. We go so slowly. that It wasn't that many chapters ago, but since we go very slowly, it feels like a long time ago when, when Shmuel Hanavi took this uh, young boy right out of the fields, where he was shepherding sheep, and, and anointed him as the future king of Israel. Feels like a lot has happened since then, um, but we're getting closer and closer to that moment. We're getting to the we're getting to the end. So we have here a very interesting chapter, a very short chapter, um, and and one which which is uh, it, it's an important part of the story, but almost feels a little bit like a. Like, like, it should be on the side, right? It's a, there's no drama here with Shaul HaMelech. This is all sort of David HaMelech and, and the future king and his interesting, compli- complicated and dangerous relationship with the, the king of the Philistines, right? Who, who lives where? Where are the Philistines? In Gaza, in Gaza. And so it's hard to imagine, you know, more, more relevant chapters than the chapters that we're learning right now over these next few weeks. So, just a, a quick review of the of the chapter, just so we understand the big picture of what's happening here. Right, David Hamelch right knows that he has to get away from, from Shaul. Right, we had the last when we finished the last series, it, it happened twice in Parakaf Dalid and Kavav, where it's almost like a repetition. It's like over and over again. Shaul Hamelch is chasing David. David has a chance to kill him, but he doesn't. And Shaul says, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." You know, okay, fool me once, fool me twice, but like you know, at a certain point, David says this is crazy. If I stick around, eventually I may not be. You know, I might be the one who gets killed here, right? This because this is a dangerous situation, and so he leaves. He leaves uh, the land of Yehuda and he goes to the land of the Plishtim. He goes where so many of his descendants, right, and the descendants of the Jewish people are right now. All of our holy soldiers in Gaza. That's where David Hamelech goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says, once I leave the borders of Israel, then Shaul HaMelech will, you know, he's not going to try to catch me anymore, which is exactly what happens, right? He's out of Shaul's reach. But this time when he goes, right? Remember, he went once in the past. When he was first running from Shaul, he ran to Achish, right? The king of of the Plishtim. But then he was all by himself. Right? Remember, he was hungry, and he, he stopped, and he, was, he convinced the Kohen Gadol to give him a sword and to give him some bread. He was in a pretty bad situation. Now, it's a lot better. He's got 600 men with him. Right? <laughs> now, it's not somebody, David and Melech is not somebody you mess around with at this point. So he comes with the 600 men to Achish ben Maoch, uh, the king of Gat. Um, so David and his men, they all live there together with Achish and Gat. He's got his families, right? The whole, the whole Hebra, they all move over to, to Gat. I mean, it's, it's incredible. All of them come together. Um, and once Sha'ulf hears that he's in Gat, he, give, he gives up. He says, I can't catch him. Forget it. Now, this relationship of David and Achish is very interesting. And, If I have found favor in your eyes, right, then let me, you know, go and 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 give me a a a suburb somewhere, right? I don't want to stay here with all my six hundred men with you in the city, right? Let me give me some small place where we can all go and we can dwell, right? Why should I dwell here in the royal city together with you? And what happens, right? Achish—it doesn't say it explicitly at this point, but it's clear that Achish trusts David, David, right, very much. It's very different than his first time around, and he gives him Tziklag, the town of Tziklag. And so, for that reason, Tziklag belongs to the kings of Yehuda to this very day. Now, Vayhi Mispar Hayamim. Right, so he's, he, he's there for a year and four months, which is a relatively long time in the, in the very packed calendar of events that happened in, in Shmuel Aleph, right? I mean, Shaul HaMelech, he becomes king many chapters ago, right? Now we're, here we are in chapter 27, right? He becomes king all the way back, chapter 10. Right? And, and we know that Sha'ol HaMelech is only king for a few years, a couple of years, two to three years. We don't know exactly how long. It doesn't last very long. So about half of that time that Shaul is king, David is hanging out in, in Ziklag. The whole thing goes very, very quickly. So he would go and they would make raids. He and his 600 men, they would raid all these uh, neighboring tribes. Including the Amalekites, we'll get to them more in depth, in, you know, in a few, in a few weeks. Uh, because those were the people who were living in that land, right, south of Gaza, south of where the of where the Pelishtim were in control, between Gaza and where the Mitzrayim was in control, and that wild land. I guess it could be the northern Sinai, right? That whole general area, which is today still a wild land. With all sorts of, right, the, the, the truth is we know that how did Hamas have so many weapons, right? How did they get all of that in there? It wasn't really coming through the sea, right? Where was it coming through? It was coming through the smuggling tunnels from Egypt into, into Gaza, right? Which is why Egypt is not in any way innocent in, in terms of what's happening here, right? If Egypt was doing, you know, any sort of border control and security, right, Hamas would not be as armed, as well armed as they are. Right so it 's a wild area, the Sinai, and just and, and it was then as well, right That was the territory of the Amalekites, right? who were, as we know, were not a normal nation that was uh, you know sitting and, and, and plant, you know, working their farms. That was not the Amalekites. The Amalekites were a tribe that, that, that plundered, that attacked, right They were in that wild area of the desert right down down south of, of the kingdom of the Pleistin, all right? And, th- and those are the peoples who David was attacking, right? And and was plundering. So, And he didn't leave man or woman alive. Right? Very intense, very fight like David, huh? Right? He didn't leave, uh, he didn't have mercy. No misplaced mercy from David and Melech. He plundered them, and that's how he maintained his, his, essentially his small army of 600 men and their families, because we know they have families. How do we know they have families? Because in a few weeks from now, we read the, the, the story about how they, they were taken as hostage, right, the women and children. Um yavo el-Achish. And then he would go, and he, and he returned and came to, to, to Achish. And Achish said, would say to him, right, he was like in constant contact with him. Yeah, sorry. Why did he
1: attack these places?
0: Why, was it uh, from Hashem's word? I mean, ah, good, good question, right? It doesn't say here that Hashem commanded him to plunder anyway. So, so we're going to come to that in just a moment, but you to try to think for a little bit. Why? Look at the names of, these, of some of these, uh, these people, right? There's Amalekites, and there's also these other nations that are living in what, right, is likely biblical Israel, right? These were nations that were never conquered initially, right? Um... But let's just finish the chapter, and then we'll come back to discuss it. So Vayomer Achish, who did you go and uh, plunder today? Right? Clearly, there's a warm relationship between Achish and David. David, So what did he say here? The key is these first words. Oh, I attacked the south of Yehuda. Right? What is David saying? His own, people. his own people. Right? Which, if you think like Achish, it makes sense, right? His own people turned on him. David is a good man. He's a, his own king is trying to kill him. Right? So he's now. So, what is he doing when he says this? What is he really saying to Achish? I am fully loyal to you. Right? I'm with you. I'm not with them anymore. I'm done with my people. Right? I'm attacking them. I'm done. With my people. Now, did he do that? No, he did not do that. Right? But they didn't have WhatsApp back then. They didn't have social media. They didn't have, pe- they didn't have cameras and videos. Right? What they did have, though, were people who could escape from battle. Right? And they could re- give reports. But so what did David do? David killed everybody. Right? Bato. Because it, when he kills everybody, right, he, he essentially brings a gag order on everything that happened. Nobody really knows what happened. Who did he, right? Well, there, there, there are no people running away from these other tribes that he let live to tell, to tell any tales. I mean the truth is, he, and he, but the same thing, that became his MO. He didn't let anybody live, which means that of course there were going to be no survivors from Yehuda who would be able to tell Achish about what was going on. Right, this is why how Achish would not become suspicious, right? Because everybody he said that he that he fought and that he attacked, he he wiped them out completely. There were never any survivors, which is why Achish never heard anything from Yehuda about the people that were killed. So is this the dumb that stopped him from being building the base of Mikdash? This blood in particular, I don't, uh, you know the. Since we don't know who. It's interesting. I. Uh, I actually, you know, I, I know very little about Tanakh. I'm still new at all at all of this. But the one article that I wrote, like, you know, over the last before I came to to Israel, was I once wrote something for a book that you did on on the Haftoras, and happened to be they asked me to do Parshat Pekudei, which is the Haftora, which discusses how David Hamelech could not build the Beit Hamikdash. It's like the only thing in Tanakh that I know about. So I'm glad you asked me. Um, but uh, so there's a lot of fascinating. The um, commentaries as to why it is that David was not allowed to build a Beit Hamikdash, What what was that about? But I never saw in any of them any reference in particular to this. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that I did do some research and I didn't find anything that, that speaks to one to some people that he killed as opposed to other people, meaning that he was justified with some killings but not justified with others. That's, those are not the reasons that I found in the commentators. I found fascinating explanations. I mean, that is a Haftor that is worth learning. Because, you know, you find really, 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 really interesting points. Like the, the, the Rambam felt that, Dov, that David became somewhat cruel because of all the people that he killed. Not, not that it was his fault. But if you, by definition, when you kill a lot of people, it, it has an impact on you. Um, you know, like I – and that, I, that's something that thankfully, you know, I've, I've never experienced myself. But um, have you ever heard of the book The Seventh Day? it's a very interesting book it's an old book it was famous in its time apparently um it came out in the year a couple of years after the six day war and it was a book about the seventh day right what happens after the war and the impact that the war had upon the soldiers and they became numb to to death and a lot like this one of the soldiers described how shortly after the war he saw a crazy terrible car accident somebody was thrown from a car, a Jew, like it was a terrible, right, terrible, and like totally had no emotional response, right, because when you're involved in war, right, it has an impact on you, and so on, so there are, there are those who explain that the David was impacted in that way, but to say that, but, but that's very different Right? I mean, because that was, he did the righteous thing. He did what Hashem needed him to do. It was his role to fight those wars, just like it's our generation's role to fight those wars. God willing, it'll be our children who build the base of Mikdash and be people of peace. But it has an impact on you. There's no question. But I don't know that, I don't think that we're told anywhere, as far as I can tell, that these were unjustified killings. So, We'll come to that we'll come back to this in just a moment just to finish. So vaye amen Achish be David So Achish believed David. He believed that David was killing his fellow Jews in Yehuda. And he have Aishiv be Amovi Israel Vahyali Le Olam. Right? I'm, he's sorry, right. I'm
1: confused because it says he south of Jehuda, but you said
0: he was against the Jur and whatever that is. Meaning he, he was actually fighting to the south of there of, of in Gaza of Gaza not fighting the Jews, right. but he told Achish that he, was fighting the Jews. that he was fighting the Jews, which is a little bit more to the east. But then Yehuda would be around and could. Right. He never said that he killed all of Yehuda. Yehuda was enormous, right? It was the okay. biggest tribe, okay. right? He was saying that I killed, oh, I killed a town, right? I plundered this town okay. or I plundered this group, right? So that's the kind of thing that in a day before technology, right, before news reporters everywhere, you know, and because David took the precautions that he took, he was able to keep this ruse going. Now, would he have been able to keep it going forever? Probably not, right? But for this amount of time, he was able to keep this ruse going, right? So all very interesting. So I, what I, I put here on the second page, this is not that I'm going to go through with everybody in detail, but I thought this was, uh, would be interesting to see just where everything is, is taking place, right? You know, this is, the, this is our land. This is our... This, we're not far from any of this. But you see that, that south of Philistia, right, which here includes Ashkelon and Ashdod, right, they, those were traditionally Philistine cities. You, if you go south, you see it says the, the Gerzites, the Gesherites, right, it's referring... And Amalek, right, that's referring to the... Those are the wars that David actually fought. He told... Achish, that he was going to the east and also fighting Yehuda, but that, he, but that he did not actually do okay now thinking about Gaza right we're going to talk a lot about Gaza over the next uh, 40 minutes or so okay is this land right even even part of Eretz Israel right that's that's a very big question um, it seems like it should be very simple yes or no but the truth is, if you start Googling this question, you're gonna, you'll get caught, you'll, you'll, your head is going to start spinning. Biblically, yes. Talmudically, no. Certain halachas apply there. You know. Yes, but others do not. It's, it's, a, it's a whole complicated halachic shear, which we're not going to do. But I did want to at least make everyone aware of it. But that being said, on a, on a very simple biblical level, and this is, I think, enough for us tonight, right, just take a look at, at Yehoshua, say for Yehoshua. Right? This is, uh, when it's going through the, through the different boundaries of the land of Israel. So, Yoshua says, So the city is at the uttermost part of the tribe of the children of Yehuda. This is towards the south. Right? And includes, and, right, and then skipping ahead, it includes all these different cities, which are clearly the Philistine cities. Ekron, Uvnotel, Vachatze Ekron is a major city. And then from Ekron to the sea. Right, and all that were near Ashdod, Ashdod, Benotel, Aza, Benotel, Adnachal Mitzrayim, all the way down south, right, all to all the way to Nachal Mitzrayim, right. All of that is part of biblical Israel, okay. But the challenge then is, if this is really all part of biblical Israel, why does David Amelech? I don't know if anyone remembers. It was already weeks ago, but at the end right, we learned this in chapter twenty-six, which was uh, really just the last chapter. But for us, it was several weeks ago before Hanukkah, um, David HaMelech complains that Shaul is forcing him to flee outside of the land. But Gaza is, not, is, is part of our land. So why is he saying that this is outside of our land? So I, I, I struggled to find, I looked, I couldn't find. And so all I really, you know, I, I have for you is to say, suggest that because this land was not yet conquered and the Jewish people had not yet put their stamp on the, on the area of Azza, right? There was no history of Jewish settlement there at this point in history. Now it's a whole different story, right? Azza is part of, the, of Jewish history and, and, and Eretz Yisrael for, right, for millennia at this stage of the game. But at that point, there was nothing, right? There was no history of Jewish settlement. For, so maybe for that reason, it didn't have at that point, the same status as the rest of the land. That's my own suggestion. But I I just, I couldn't find it. I didn't have time, unfortunately, because I have jobs. But I didn't have time to spend hours looking and I'm sure there are answers that are out there. But that was, but it did strike me that at the end of the last chapter, David HaMelech rips, you know, when he's yelling at Shaul, what you've done to me, you forced me to leave the land. And now he's leaving the land, right? But is this really leaving the land? Yehuda Shemron, and Azza, right? It's all one, yesha. Right, but so I think that I, th- I think that it, it it's a process uh, for the parts of the land that we did not yet conquer. Um, now, if you look at the Malbin, number four, Shine Yoshevet Haaretz Meolam Yemot Yehoshua. So now, who are these people that he is that he's fighting and he's attacking and he's killing? Right, Behemin Hasheva amamin. These are of the seven nations. Shekiyim Behem Mitzvahs Lotechayekol Neshama. Right, this answers your question. Right. His answer to how could he kill all these people? Man, woman, and child. Even Shimon and Levi, who everybody loves to, well, not in Shirat David, but outside of Shirat David, everybody likes to yell about how terrible Shimon and Levi, they killed all the men of Shechem, right? I celebrate that as a Levi. But, <laughs> but uh, in other places, they like to complain about Shimon and Levi. But even Shimon and Levi let the women and children live. They killed all the men. What about David? She's killing everybody. And there's no, nobody ever says boo about David HaMelech, right? We have selective outrage, right? So <laughs> what is, what's the outrage? So the answer is, says the Malbim, it's because these people really were supposed to be wiped out at the very beginning, but Amisrael, as we know, did not complete the task. A big part of David HaMelech's life is completing right, much of what Amisrael is meant to do in Eretz Yisrael, as we'll see when it comes to, most famously, Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is still a Gentile city at this stage of the game. Right? We've been in Israel, right here we are in Sefer Shmuel. We've been in Israel, I don't know, about 400 years and Yerushalayim is still a Gentile city. Really? So if that makes, maybe that makes all of us feel a little bit better, that things don't happen overnight. Here we are, we've been here, you know, longer than 75 years. We've had a state, but let's say we've been here over, well over 100 years. And we don't have all of it yet. But okay, Hashem has a plan. Step by step, we're going to get there. We'll get, we, we will get it all. Uh, it took a long time till David Melech got Yerushalayim. Um Where that's true but this is not just this is not just Amalek first of all Amalek is not one of the seven nations right so that's separate we're talking here about the other ones that were mentioned right who are part of uh, and they often can be very confusing like uh, they have different names like sub-tribes they could be can- Canaanite tribes but they go by a different name that's what gets a little confusing and, right like the Yerushalayim is run is controlled by who? At the, the Yevusim but who are the Yevusim? They're really in, as we'll see. But, I'm saying, you know, so they go by different names sometimes, sub-tribes, right, of the tribes. But so here we're talking, you're right, Amalek, that's a different story. But when it comes to these other tribes, how could they just wipe everybody out? Who are they bothering, right? So the fact is they're part of the seven. And also this area is part of the land of Israel, which is why I was so confused as to why David was yelling at Shaul that you made me leave the land. Right, if south of Gaza is part of Israel, then certainly Kalvachomer Gaza is part of Israel. So why was David saying, right, why was he so upset that he had to leave?
1: What is the timeline between Shaul taking over Amalek and letting the king live and David killing everybody in, uh, in, in the
0: village of Amalek? So and we'll see, he, he kills more in a few, you know, in a few chapters from now. But uh, the time, it's very short. Remember, everything that happens with Shaul is, oh, is like a handful of years. I don't know that we know exactly but is it three years? I mean, you know, we're talking about his entire reign. In Amalek, then who did Shaul have to kill? Ah, so that's a great question, because you know, if, if who was left, right? If it was only a year later, how do you have all these tribes? So it's it would seem that the shot of this is is that when God <laughs> told Shaul Amalek to kill all of Amalek, he wasn't necessarily saying all of Amalek, all of the Amalekites here. Right, because there, there's no way they could have had a whole big new tribe of Amalekites that arose, you know, from King Agag, right, from his baby that he had, right, a year ago, and now we have all these. There's a whole story of Amalekites these next few chapters. So it would seem that the pshat of the of of the the simple understanding of Tarach, you can't understand it any other way, that that Shaul didn't mess up because he didn't wipe out every last Amalekite Amalekite in the world. But rather, there was a particular area of Amalekites, maybe it was the main <laughs> settlement of Amalekites, where their king was, that he was told, that he was commanded to go and to kill everyone. And he did not follow the rule, you know, God's command fully. But uh, otherwise, it's a great question, because otherwise it, makes, it doesn't make any it sense. David
1: killed
0: everybody. But, oh, he didn't kill all the Amalekites here. Oh. It's, it says, it's telling us here that he went and he plundered <laughs> among the Amalekites. Uh right? They were tribal. They had different, you know, they lived, some lived here, some lived there. They lived scattered all over the place, right? They were not easy to wipe out because they were scattered. And the same thing with the other tribes. It doesn't mean that he killed them all, um, okay? So, by de- nevertheless, by destroying many of the members of these tribes, he was fulfilling this mitzvah, you know, right? The role of a Jewish king, right? Something that, that he'll be doing for the rest of his life um, to a great degree. Okay, so number five, in Divrei Hayamim, Right, some, it, we we learn primarily say for Shmuel, but we try to bring in from Divrei Hayamim, which, which speaks about these times, and also of course from Tehillim, which is tells us about David's inner life. So we find in Divrei Hayamim, so there are some real insights here. The Elah David Now there are people who came to join David while he was in Tziklag during this time, as Odat Sur Mibnei Shaul well, Ben Kish, while where he was shut up. Right, he he couldn't leave because he was so afraid of Shaul. Right? And, and they, some of these men became his, you know, some of his great warriors that stuck with him for the rest of his reign. Which is really fascinating. Some of the brothers of Shaul himself left their homes, went into exile in Gaza, so that they could join David. Right? I can only imagine... The family uh, Thanksgiving meals they were having there, right, at Shaul's house. It was not a good situation. Right? But we know that Shaul was in steep decline, right? He was having major emotional problems, personality. It came across as a personality disorder, what he was dealing with, right? So there, there was tremendous uh, division within even the upper ranks of, of Shaul's circle. And then it tells us, Min Hagadi, right? The tribe of God, what are they known for? Ruvain, God, and Khatzim and Asher. But what is God specifically known for? We don't talk about them all that much. They are they are the warriors. If you look at all the psukim about God, right, they are the uh, the great 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 warriors, right? So so this was a major boon to David HaMelef to have some great warriors who came from across the Yarden all the way, right? There's so, clearly there's something significant that's happening here. This is not, and I think this is actually important for us, right? It didn't happen like all of a sudden. Am Yisrael realized. Ah, David is the chosen one. And then the whole nation looked up and, and smiled, right? And they all decided, David, you are our king. It was a real world situation. Some people figured it out faster. Some people sensed it was happening. Others, you know, took time. Everything as a, a nation is complex. And there were, these were the, the forward thinking ones among the nation who understood that, that Shaul was in decline and that David is really the, the proper leader of the people of Israel, so much so that they – and they earned tremendous cred because if you, go, you, if you go to the king when he's already king, okay, everybody wants to be connected to the king. But when you're running away and you're living in exile in, in, in Gaza, right, that's a sign of tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous loyalty, right? And, and that's why I think many of these people, it says, became his very close warriors, the ones who were with him, I would assume, for the rest of his life. Um, and this didn't – a red flag for Achish that all of a all these warriors were coming. So it's a question as to whether Achish really knew. Remember, the whole thing is a year and four months, and David purposely asked to leave the the capital city because he wanted to be someplace out of the sight of uh, of Achish, right? So that he could do his own little mini kingdom over there. This is essentially. Um, you know, I, I just saw this actually when I was at, the, at, at, the, at this big convention, AmFest in, uh, in, in Phoenix, the TPUSA conference, 15,000 uh, crazy Trump activists uh, in Phoenix. And they had one of the biggest sponsors of the whole convention was the Federated State of China. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard of the Federated State of China? They had a lot of good swag. I got all these free, <laughs> I got a lot of free stuff from the Federated State of China. They are the Chinese government in exile. Right, the one that calls themselves the true Chinese government, right? Where they're the anti-communists, right? They're the, they, they're trying to create a whole, a whole government, a whole situation, right, outside of China that they say is the legitimate leadership of China, right? So. It was interesting. No, they're huge letters. They're like the biggest sponsors of this whole conference, which, which makes sense because if there's anything that those people hate, it's China, right? So they hate China. Um, so this is like, these are the, they're saying, we're the good Chinese. But yeah. this is essentially what was happening. David was creating the federated state of David HaMelech, right? There in siklag He was like a government in exile, a malchus in exile. And he's already he's become he's king over all these men and their and their wives and their children. He's essentially he's got his own little fiefdom, his own little kingdom, which is his training to become the king over all of first of Yehuda and then over all of Am Yisrael. Um, it, really really interesting, right? And so David goes out to greet all these people. Can he trust them? Can he trust them? And I know I'm not supposed to quote any movie or reference any movie that involves Mel Gibson because he's an anti-Semite. Yeah. Although apparently, I, I just heard, someone told me he's trying to do chuva now. That he's trying to do chuva. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But if you remember from Braveheart, right, when Mel Gibson, Braveheart is, uh, you know, he's, he's running away from the, the British. So all these random people show up to join him in his revolution. But can he trust them? You know, and like one of them is actually an assassin trying to kill him. You know, then another one saves him from the assassin. Like all this kind of if you remember this movie, right? I, you know, so it's the same thing here. David Amalf doesn't know. Are you really coming to, to, to work to be with me? Or are you the brothers of Sha'ul? Maybe you're coming here as assassins. Right? It could be. So he says, Imla shalom batem, if you come in peace, la then yeah alechem right? Then my heart will be with you. Right? But if you betray me, um right there's going to be judgment right so he's he's uh, it's the love with one hand and the threat with the other watch out right my right you come after me it's basically i think what he's saying is my guys will tear you to pieces right you're not going to survive this if you come after me um and so veruach lev rosh the Shalom, shalom, lecha shalom ki azrecha, And So they all said, you know, peace, peace to you and to your helpers. And they joined them, and they became immediately captains. It says, Rasha gedud of David HaMelech's army, which is also fascinating, right? Immediately to become captains when they're outsiders, they're not men of Yehuda, they're not part of Yehuda of of, of David's tribe, they're not people that he knew from for for years and years that he trusted. But he immediately, right? He does something very wise here. He takes people from other tribes who he maybe has reason to question their loyalty and trusts them and puts them in positions of authority. Right? What do you think that did for David and Melech? Keep
1: your enemies closer.
0: That's true, but he also, he also earned unbelievable loyalty. Right? He also, this is why David is the one who is able to unite the tribes.
1: He risks antagonism and resentment from his loyal people with him earlier. Exactly. They're giving, they're
0: passed over. Exactly. But what he's doing is avoiding the, the tremendous mistake that so many presidents make, <laughs> right? I remember when I read the whole Truman biography, that's a once in a lifetime thing. That was so long. I'll never, read, never reread that one again. That was like an 800 page book. The famous Truman biography, anyone ever saw it? It was, uh, <laughs> but I, what I do remember is that one of Truman's big mistakes is like, you know, you come into your position of power, all of a sudden you're the president. So you feel comfortable with people that you know around you but they're not necessarily equal to the task right so you have like these kind of people who you know maybe they were good when you were a uh, congressman or even a senator to be the president you've got to be able right to recognize that maybe you need new people who can come in and help you right that's what uh, so a lot of presidents apparently make this mistake Right You could say that about trump there 's no question, even if you like him, he was a disaster with his personnel decisions right it's it 's a natural mistake to make, and one that David Hamelich is not making already here at the beginning right he 's immediately looking outside of his own inner circle and bringing those people in um, because he recognized that they have they have great great competence uh, but but let's uh, let 's move forward because the the night is the night's running along so I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip ahead just a little bit. Um, okay, so how did David convince Achish of his loyalty? So in source nine, he So um, David he picked his fights very carefully. The, the the people that he was attacking were people who were also likely enemies of Achish, right? They were wild tribes that lived on the border of the Plishtim. So it wouldn't be shocking that they would be the kinds of people who would be raiding Plishti towns. So the fact that now Davide Melech comes in with his own men, right? And he's self-sufficient and he's wiping out one by one these enemy tribes on the south of Achish's border. Now we understand why Achish loves this guy, right? It's not even his own men. He doesn't have to use any of his own soldiers. He's self-sufficient and he goes and he's taking out my enemies one by one. Could you, it's a, it's a dream, for Achish, to have, Now, all of it's a very different situation. David, when he came the last time, was like one guy all by himself, right? He came with a, with a, with a piece of bread and a, and a sword in his hand. That was all he had. Now, all of a sudden, right, David is coming and he brings tremendous, tremendous benefit, right? So there's great benefit to, 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 to in terms of what he's providing here. So... Um, continuing here, number 10 So in the next chapter the Plishtim gather you know, their armies together to go and to fight Am Yisrael okay? and we're going to learn, you know, this is going to be the definitive battle in which Shaul HaMelech and his sons, tragically right, they're going to die, right, this terrible battle, but it's telling us now about the, the background to this battle And Achish says to David, You should know, you're going to be coming with me and my men, right? David succeeded too well, right? Achish (laughs) trusts him so much, now he wants him to come with him to fight the people of Israel. So what could David say to Achish? Now you're going to see what what your servant will do. What does that mean? You will see what your servant will do. (laughs) It could be anything, right? Achish hears. I'm going to show you, my master Achish, how unbelievable a warrior I am. I'm going to take down all your enemies. That's what Achish heard. What did David say? Bye,
1: bye, Achish. You'll see
0: what I'll do, right? You'll see what I'll do, right? He he doesn't want to lie, right? And he but but at the same time you know, right. You see what's going on here, right? There's something. It's really amazing how political he is. Um, you're going to be the keeper of, my, you know, my my security detail. You're going to be the secret service. You will be my secret service all through the rest of my life. Really, something right? That's how much he trusts him, right? You know, Chazal tells us that this was the job that had belonged to the brother of Goliath of Goliath, right? And now all of a sudden, right, David, the one who killed Goliath, is he's coming in, and he's stepping in, he trusts him that much. Um, Incredible, right? Uh, right? But nevertheless, right, it's hard to believe that David ever had a plan that he was going to fight his own people. It says Barbanel, number 12, yeah, You will see, David yeah, He purposely kept it stumim, this is what we were saying. You'll see what your servant will do. So Achish, Achish interpreted that, that David will do unbelievable feats in battle on his behalf. It's impossible to think that David ever intended that he would hurt his fellow Jews. <laughs> the only thing that he could have had in mind, possibly, was that he would protect Achish, because he had a personal responsibility to Achish. Achish, you know, helped him and took him in. So David owes him to that degree, in that sense, right? It's complicated with the Plishtim. There are enemies, but in this case, right? David owes Achish. So at least to protect him, that he could do, but he would never, God forbid, that Barbanel can't ever imagine that, he would be, that he'd be willing to be be Israel, that he'd be willing to fight Am Yisrael. Um, but still, there's a bigger question here that I think we need to ask. Right? Why in the world, of all places, I know it was close, but why in the world, of all places, would David run to Gat, to the place where he was almost killed before? He had to fake insanity to escape there. Why is he putting himself and his people at risk again? Right now, it worked out well, right? He was able to play the situation well, but why would David run to, to the plishtim of all places? Of all places. Rav Yigal Ariel, he says, It's not explained in the Psukim, but still, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Our forefathers, Avraham, right, and Yitzchak, they went to the plishtim and they kept going back there. Even though it never worked out well, it was always messy, right? All the, all the situations where you had, to, you had to say, oh, no, Sarah's my wife. I'm sorry, Sarah's my sister, not my wife. And Rifka's my sister, not my wife. None of this was healthy or normal. It was not a good situation with the plishtim. And if you read those, we just went through those parshios not long ago. You go back and look at them closely. It's, there's clearly a lot of complicated political back and forth happening between Avraham and Yitzchak and the plishtim. Nira ki'ilu nidhifu dachaf el-yon. I love this, this line, the way Rav Ariel says this. It seems that they were pushed there with like a, a heavenly push, that the people of Israel, beginning with our forefathers, have to be enmeshed with these plishtim, that we can't avoid them, right? They're some bad people. You just want to, you know... There's a bully in class. The first thing your mom tells you to do is just, you know, sit on the other side of the classroom. Don't start with them. Right? But somehow Hashem keeps pushing us to the plishtim. Keeps pushing us there. Right? Right? murkav. It was a very complicated relationship that we've had all through our history with the Plishtim. Sheirat kavod Vikina, chesed v'sina. Right, there was there's there's some good things that happened with Avram and Yitzhak and the Plishtim. There's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of hatred. There are covenants that take place. Right, it's not it's not simple. All of this happened buvya, It all happened together, messy, complicated. Right, it makes you think about, and we always say, of course, the, the Arabs of today have nothing to do with the plishtim. They've taken on that name. But I always believe that the, that the fact that they took on that name is not an accident, that it's meant to teach us, look into, the, look into Tanakh and learn from the plishtim of Tanakh and apply those lessons to the Arabs of today, even though, of course, they have no history in our land. Um, but nevertheless, it's not an accident that Hashem made it this way, that they should take on that name. That we're meant, especially since the plishtim lived in Gaza, and the Arabs of today live in Gaza, and they call themselves plishtim, as if they are plishtim, we're meant to take notice, right? Why is it that we can't seem to separate from these people? We tried. We tried in 2005, one of the great you know, national sins of our people, right, which led to the horror of today. We tried, but Hashem is, it's almost like Hashem is saying you can't. You can't separate you have to be immersed and enmeshed with this awful and horrible people and some, right, because this is part of our process, that we have to be enmeshed with them. Right? We want nothing to do with them. We just, to, we just want to be separate. And yet there's a dachaf el-yon, the way that, that our forefathers had with the plishtim, we have with our modern day nemesis. Right, so it's it's so interesting. So why is this? Right, you read the toshal David al plishtim he avot. Right, he's following in his forefathers' footsteps. So why does God keep sending our forefathers to the plishtim? So on the one hand, right, we, They're we evil, aren't they? What? Aren't they evil people? I mean, he had a lie about his about yeah. Sarah. It's not a pretty situation. He knew that they were, yeah. they were morally decrepit. Morally decrepit people. Right, like the people, so, like the like people, today, like the people today. Right, they have. There's no morality there. Right, and how Right, there's human life. So right, this
1: is how Hashem's going to start bringing around the Mashiach. So I'm That's not going to spend the exactly. So how do
0: we understand? So why? Right. So th- we could explain practically. David now has, you know, there's there's there are factors in his favor now that he has 600 men with him that make this whole move to Gaza make more sense, um, and he could be useful to Achish, and all of that is true, but it leaves me unsatisfied. Right? There's practical reasons why he went, but there's a deeper reason why David goes to Gat. So I want to understand a little bit deeper. Okay? Who are these plishtim that David cannot seem to avoid? Okay? So if we look at number 15. <speaking in Hebrew> we forget, you know, we always know, know that, that Goliath is a plishti, but he comes from Gat, specifically. Gat, seems to be a place where warriors are trained. The warriors come from. In the next source, right, this, is, this comes from Shmuel Bet, after Shaul HaMelech is killed. David says, Al tagidu ve'gat, right? Al b'chutzot don't, ashkelon. Don't let them, we don't want them to celebrate in Gat that they finally killed Shaul HaMelech Yisrael. Right? Because Gat would be the place where they would celebrate, right? Gat seems to be the epicenter of, of their warriors, the ones who killed Sha'ul were likely from Gat. Okay, and the Radak tells us, Zehu al Derah Hakina, Kiyodima yuki Himayuhor Gimi Stra Elbamilhama. Um armicha navi al derach kina bigat al tagitu. The Gat seem to be the epicenter, right? And this is where David is going now. Right, Gat seems to be the epicenter of the, of the power and the evil of the Plishtim of the Plishtim. That's their center where their top fighters are trained. But wouldn't they
1: be afraid of him because of what he did with Goliath?
0: So it's a good question, right? Because remember, this is already his second time. His first time, he came by himself, right? And they didn't seem so afraid of him. They were going to kill him and then he had, to, he had to pretend that he was insane, right? So uh, maybe, I, I, it's hard to say. Maybe they, uh, uh, good question. I'm not, su- I'm not, not sure. But he's got the sword now. He's got the sword. But our, our, but I think our, our history with the Plishtim actually goes deeper. Right, and, and we often forget this, and this is in the parshios that are coming up soon in the next few weeks, right? This is so if you go, go down to number eighteen, but in the beginning of parshas BeShalach, when Paro lets the people go, but Hashem did not want to take the people of Israel the way of the Plishtim, because that way was close. Right, that was the natural way. You're in, you're in Egypt. Right. You go right up through the Sinai, right, right up through Gaza, and then you're there in the land of Israel. Why do we do this whole long roundabout way? This was, this was way before we sinned with the Chetam We weren't supposed to wander yet. We weren't destined yet to be wandering in the desert. So why, why did Hashem not take us the, by the, by the, through the way of the plishtim? Ki lokim peni ha'am Tamil because Hashem was afraid that when we would see war with the Plishtim, we would want to go back to Mitzrayim. What's your problem with this pasuk? What is your problem with this pasuk? They didn't see war in other areas. Also? Yeah, we fought other wars. We fought a immediately, right? They attacked us right away, right? But then we fought Sichon. We fought Og. Those guys were pretty scary oh a giant I don't know I don't want to face a giant in war so you're saying that they were just as scary but they didn't know how to get back they wouldn't know how to get back I like it isn't that what the passage says so I guess you could understand it that way right that they would that, that, that the highlight is on Vishavu Mitzrayimah right because it's close right that's interesting and that would be too easy for them to go back to Mitzrayim. Whereas with Sichon and Og, they have no other way to fight, there's nowhere to go. I would say something else. At this stage, see, at Mitzrayim, they weren't prepared to fight in any way. I mean, that's why the yamsuk, ravel, uh, yamsuk, uh, yeah. yamsuk, they also were ready, like. Right, right, right. They were terrified. Although they did end up fighting a Malik very, very quickly. It's a good point. They did end up fighting a Malik very quickly. But there was a the Yamsuk between them. There was, that's true. My wife has an idea, and that is that perhaps Abraham
1: made a covenant with him maybe we were afraid of the spiritual power they had
0: based on a ah, without. So you're going in the direction that, you know, the more spiritual direction, which is what we're going to go in right now, Chazal, right? Which is that there's something unique about the plishtim, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Not because it technically is closer or, you know, but rather there's something here with the plishtim that was particularly frightening to Am Yisrael. That makes it the, right, they're an especially terrifying enemy, more so than the others. But didn't right? say Hanukkah, so this was, Goliath was there and his brothers, and they were all giants, right? part of the Nephilim, so that would put a major fear. It's not just right. your everyday No, enemy. Exactly. No, Goliath was absolutely terrifying, right? It was only because David had that Ruach Hashem in him, the spirit of God that entered him, that left Shaul, and that was in him that he had the ability to do what he did. Um, but uh, but he, look, we ended up fighting other, other giants, right? We did fight Og. Um, but yes, there's something uniquely terrifying I about the Pleshtim. did Moshe
1: die in this part we, relative
0: to the wars that we
1: had? Did, did Moshe see any of these wars? Did well, Moshe
0: know. dies just before we go into the land. So Moshe saw the battle against Amalek. He fought, right? Chazal tells us that he's the one who killed Og um, and Sihon, right? He, I mean, he was the head of the, the nation when we fought so Sihon. Because
1: we didn't have Moshe anymore?
0: No, we had Moshe. This was at the beginning as we were leaving Egypt. We could have gone straight through.
1: Well, remember, he stood up with his hands yes. up and down. And after seeing all the miracles that Hashem performed in Israel still didn't have a strong enough belief that
0: Hashem would But What's them. interesting though here is that Hashem doesn't seem to blame us for this, right? Mm-hmm. This is just a fact. Hashem says, you know what, this is not a good idea. These people, I can't take them through the, through the way of the plishtim. There's no judgment of us. God judges us plenty, right? God has a lot of judgments for the Dora, Midbar in particular. We fail over and over and over again. But this is not considered one of the failures of Am Yisrael, right? That Hashem, it's like Hashem says, I understand. I can't take them the way of the plishim. That is one step too much, too far. could have also been a tactical uh, ploy to bring Paro and the Yisrael. After we saw the but then it would have maybe, but, but here it's talking to us, right? Hashem is saying, telling us truth. Hashem, lo nacham, right? Did not want to because, didn't want to take them through the place. It doesn't say that it was about the mitzrim. So that's why I have a harder time to, you know, like this is not to throw off the, the mitzrim. This is eternal in the Torah for us to pay attention. Hashem wants us to know, right? Every year we come to Parshas B'Shalach. There's something here about the Plishtim that we were not ready and capable of dealing with that's significant. That we right that and, and, and we need to know this for all time. So so like what so what is that? Look at Shmos Raba look at number 19. Lona so derek Lama Ella You may have heard this medrash that years before, some years before the thirty years before we actually left Mitzrayim. The, the, the tribe of Ephraim miscalculated the time, the kates, the end of the uh, slavery in Egypt. Um, and they left early on their own. And how many of them were killed? What is the One rebo is 10,000. So that's 300,000. Now, is that mean literally? I don't know, but that's what the words mean. 300,000 so that whether that's literal or whether that's there to tell us that it was an enormous number of people who died either way it was it was a horrific trauma to the entire nation of israel right and they messed it they, right because they, why were they killed because they you know they they, uh, they miscalculated from the brit Bein abitarim and they messed up for 30 years and by the way there's no it's, it's we're not going to get into this now another year maybe sometime but it's not an accident that it was Ephraim that made the mistake Right, the, the children of Yosef made the mistake, right? As later on we'll find after what happens after Cheta Egel, who also tries, they, who still tries to go in the Chet Hama Piblim, right? It's the, the the those who wanted to go into the land, even though Hashem said it was now you can't go, right? That that sin is, is ascribed really to the children of Rachel, uh, whereas the, the the people who wanted to stay in the desert, right, were really the children of Leah. Right? And and there's a whole there's a there's a lot of teachings when it comes to that for another time. No, so so this happens. You know, that the, the, the P, the children of Ephraim, so many of them were slaughtered. Vaharagum I'm skipping now fourth line, Vaharagum Plishtim. It was the Plishtim who killed them. And not only that, I highlighted it, Vaharagum Anshe Gat. The P the warriors of Got, right? They're the ones who killed the, the children of Ephraim. And these animals, these beasts, the plishtim, they left their bodies out to rot. And there are piles and piles of bones along the way, all around where they slaughtered all of these, these children of Ephraim. Because then it was 30 years earlier. So th- over those 30 years, their bodies rotted away, and there are piles and piles of bones. But it was not so long that they disappeared into the desert, right? That it, with the winds of time. They were there. Right? Like the like the destroyed tanks, you know, that we have along you know, some of the roads in Israel. Right? So it, meaning it's recent history. Right? And can you imagine that if the people would go that way, right, and they would see what happened to their brothers? If they would see the evil that the the Plishtim perpetrated on their brothers, they would immediately turn around and go back to Mitzrayim. So, Amar Baruch Hu, Hashem said, Eini mitnachem nachem ad enkom nikmatan shal b'nei Ephraim. Hashem says, I will not be comforted until I take vengeance, right, for the children of Ephraim against the plishtim, right? And those words, I think, are very powerful to us, right? Because who are the, the modern-day plishtim and their tremendous evil, right, and their tremendous cruelty, right? They don't give back the bodies of dead soldiers that they've killed, that they've murdered. They hold on to them so that the families will suffer, Right? This is their way. They had that. They had that whole statue in Gaza, right? With uh, that they made because they, when they captured Israeli soldiers and killed them, like holding up dog tags, right? I don't know if you saw this this, this past week or two. They just they just knocked it over and platted over and destroyed it. Um, our soldiers, right? But that's a, they, they they made a monument to their cruelty, just like the Peshitim of old had piles and piles of bones that they purposely left there. It didn't make their scenery nicer. In, in Gaza, right? The Plishtim. It didn't make their land look more beautiful, but they wanted it there because they were proud of their cruelty, yeah. right? And this is why, you know, Am Yisrael has a particular terror when it comes to dealing with the Plishtim. right? This is the, right, the, 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 the trauma that, that comes from it,
1: right? It's true today with the
0: movies that they put all over. Exactly, the right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, the video. there's a cruelty. There's something that's happening here, right? But still, why does Hashem then force the Avos, the, our forefathers and David, to be so enmeshed with the Plishtim, a nation that, that hurt us so terribly. So I, and it was really struggling, you know, struggling with this question. So I'm not going to read through all of it here, but if you're number 20, this is the, this is the oath, the covenant that Avram Avinu makes, you know, with these seven lambs. He makes a covenant with, uh, with Avimelech, the Melech of the, the king of the Plishtim. And Fichol Sartzva'o, right, he makes a covenant with them. Um, and Yehoshua also, right, when we come to say for Yehoshua, right, there was land that was yet to be conquered, right? Number 21, what is the land that was left to be conquered? Kol The regions of the Plishtim, right? And in the next Pasuk, right? All these, these lands, azati, all these plishti, plishti lands, why were they not touched when Yehoshua was conquering the land? Why? What's this about? Right, and the same thing with the Yevusi, Yoshevei Yerushalayim. They also, Lo yachlu They couldn't uproot them. Right? Why were they able to uproot them? Because all of these peoples right, were the descendants of the Plishtim. The Yevusim were really part of the Plishtim. Right? And, and so, Lo yachlu So the Radak and Sefer Yahushua, he says, number 23, Kativ yuchlu, Ki af lo yuchlu they weren't able to over to defeat them. Only David Amelach. He's, he's finally the one who's able to defeat the Pleshtim. <laughs> they couldn't do it when they conquered the land. And Chazal tell us, hayu, really they could have. Because right? at that point they hadn't sinned. Yehoshua was a great leader. Right? He had one miraculous victory after another. <laughs> they weren't, permiss- they weren't per- permitted. <laughs> because of the oath that Avraham made to Avimelech. Think about us now, right? Is it really true, lo Yahlu, that we're not able to defeat these people? We're so much more powerful than them. But we're not able to because of these oaths, these covenants that we've made, right? That we've, that we've bound ourselves to, right? All the evils. the oath that he made? Right? The oath that Avram made, that was a number 20. That's where he makes an oath with, with the king of Avimelech, that they're not going to go to war with each other and their descendants and so on. And so think about the oaths that we've made now, that we've... Are the oaths of Oslo and so on and so forth. Why are like, we the only
1: ones that have to abide by the oaths? Everybody that we've made with it, they break them.
0: Exactly. No, no. The, the, oaths, should not, the oaths don't apply to us. But we in our own psyche are bound, have bound ourselves to these oaths. Um, and the see also, it says here, the see were not from the Shivagoyim. They were not from the seven nations. Rather, there was a man whose name was Yuvus, who, who, was, who was a plishti. And he went, he was from Avimelech, and he called the place, Yerushalayim, he called that place, you know, Yevus, after himself, right? And he, they were a branch of the plishtim. And that's why they weren't able to conquer until David HaMelech comes and the oath is shattered, right? Think about the, the, the contrast. We are waiting for David HaMelech, right, to come and to end the oath that has bound us and, 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 and bound our hands behind our back as we're trying to fight our enemies who are attacking us and killing us. All those years that the plishtim were torturing us Shimshon, Sha'ul, right? They, all of them were killed by the plishtim. Shimshon and Sha'ul and all of Sha'ul's sons. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? And yet, I mean, I mean we, somehow they, they had this like hold over us. Were they more powerful than all the other seven nations combined? I doubt it. They were a strong nation. They were scary, but they weren't. All the other nations, we somehow defeated them, but we couldn't defeat the plishtim, right? right? This seems to be a key element in the path, in this painful and and, and, uh, and complicated path on the way to redemption, right? David Melech becoming king, defeating all of our enemies, and then Shlomo Melech building the Beis Mikdash. that is the, we're following, as we say all the time, that is the path that we are following. We are currently in the time, this complicated path, of David, right, which is very painful. and takes a long time until David can finally defeat his enemies, becomes king, defeats his enemies. And then we have, right, the the final Mashiach that we're waiting for is the Beis HaMikdash, is Mashiach ben David, Shlomo. We're waiting for Shlomo. That will be our final Mashiach. We are now in the process of, David has been anointed, right? We know that we're in the times of the beginnings of Mashiach. We know, but we're not there yet. And it's this process of defeating the Plishtim right, that is, a, that is critical, it seems, as part of Hashem's plan, right, in order to, to bring the redemption, right? That goes with what we're studying in the woman's from Rabbi Reuben Sasson, that it's komiyot, right? Gula is komiyot, two komot. Yeah. One is the physical, so David's the physical, and until we have the Ruchanit, the spiritual, which is Shlomo, then we can't have the full gula. Exactly, so... Very good. So we're, we're, we're just about out of time. So I want to, you know, just to try to, to, to sum it together, right? The Medrash talks about here about, the, uh, about the, the Sheva Kvasot, the seven lambs that, that, uh, that they slaughtered as part of this covenant between Avraham and the Plishtim, right? We, we ended up paying for it with seven sadikim who were killed, right? Who were Shimshon, Chafni, and Pinchas, Shaul and his three sons. All of them were killed by the Plishtim. And another approach, right, that there were seven Mishkanot, seven special holy places that were destroyed by these plishtim, right, including Shiloh and the, right, and so on and so forth, right? This is, um, right, they are our great enemy before the time of redemption. Um, And, you know, the plishtim, they prevent Amisrael, and trying to understand why do we have to go through this, you know, they prevent Amisrael from being miharu etaketz from hastening the end before its time. This is what I take from that medrash that we learned before. What was, where I, did really Ephraim deserve to die? I, all those 300,000 people of Ephraim, did they deserve to die because they made a mistake in their calculation? Yeah, what? Doesn't that seem a little bit unfair to you? It's
1: the fact that they, they were told not
0: to, that it wouldn't work, and they still went. Right, so, so they were miharu Kates. They thought they were correct, right? But there's, there's something there, something deeper there that we need to grasp, right? The kates will come, right, when the kates will come. And it's, a, and it's a balance between our efforts, the heroism of Am Yisrael, right? We see that all through this story. Without David HaMelech and his heroism and all of his men and, and Shmuel Hanavi and his heroism, right, we don't have, we don't get to the redemption. We don't get to the base of Mikdash. But on the other hand, over and over and over again, throughout Sefer Shmuel, David HaMelech has to learn the lesson. Hashem's in charge. At the same time, right? There's a process. We cannot be miharu ataketz. It will happen when it's meant to happen, right? Amanetzach, right? Lo mefached miderech arucha, right? In front, of it's everywhere. All the posters all over Efrat, right? But there's a very deep teaching there. We're not afraid of it, but we also don't have a choice because that's what Hashem has decreed. We have to go through what we need to go through, right? And the plishtim are being placed purposely in our path to slow us down. They're being, that's what what their job is. They have no positive value as human beings in this world, right? The world would be a better place if every last one of them was erased from this earth, right? They don't do anything good. They don't bring any good to the world. What is, but everything in this world has a purpose. The one good that they do is their evil, right? Which is part of Hashem's plan to slow us down, right? To to make us go through this process to redemption, right? I can't. We can't see any other reason, right? It, it prevents us from, from being miharu Kates. And I think this is the, you know, this is the great secret of geula of redemption. Um, you know, David Hamelech has to learn that it's not through his sword, right? Just like he at the very beginning, how did he defeat Goliath? How did he defeat the, the original plishti that he killed? The very first plishti that David kills, he kills without a sword. And then he seems to forget that lesson, right? He wants the sword of Goliath and he takes it with him and gets all the people of Nov killed because he took that sword, right? There's a, David has to then really learn properly and internalize the lesson that, really he, right, that he experienced at the very beginning of his life, of his, right, of his rise, which is that it's not going to be through the sword. Right. And that's what we see. We have all the swords. We have all the bombs and the bunker bus. We, we have everything. Right. We have so much. And yet these 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 people, these terrorists who should be nothing compared to us. We can't seem to defeat them. Right. I mean, it's year after year. Right. In six days, we defeated several nations. And then decade after decade, we can't. We're struggling with these terrorists. What is the lesson? Right. These are the plishtim that we couldn't overcome. It's in, the end of the, in the end of the day, we'll be, right, lo Right, that's the lesson that Am Yisrael has to learn. There has to be a repentance that's going to happen, right? And until that happens, we're going to struggle and suffer in our, in our dealings with these, with these plishtim. Um, what you know? are we repenting? Sorry? What are we repenting? Am Yisrael has got to, there's a lot we have to do. That's a whole other, it's a whole other shear. But, uh, Look, there's a lot to learn, as Rav Cook says, and and we'll stop here. There's a lot to learn from these enemies, right? We're meant to pay attention. We're going through what we're going through for a reason. Uh, God willing, God willing, we'll get through this process sooner than later. Uh, Amen.